We are on our fifth day of our Renovate devotional. Uh, We have a workbook that's uh, on our website, arisenking.life. It's a workbook that not only has uh, the teaching uh, in written form, but it also has some spiritual exercises that can be integrated into um, your progress and your work on renovating your heart. And uh, this week, we're really talking about how the renovation is about recovering the good and that the good actually enters into your life in such a way that it overcomes the bad, that it's, it's really an exchange life, your old life of the flesh for your new life in the spirit. That's why it's uh, so essential that these first two weeks, that the first two weeks were about how corrupt our hearts are, how deceitful, how even our souls have this corruption, this dark side to them. You see, until you really believe that foundationally, you will not allow the total renovation that the Holy Spirit has for you. Listen to these verses. I shared them in the message on Sunday, but they're worth sharing again. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And then Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, you know, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And then this is a really important verse identifying the way that the kingdom comes into your heart and what what it means for the kingdom of God to be in your life and in your heart. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let's think about a little bit about what that those verses mean. So the, the first thing is this, is the idea of external manifestations of Christ's likeness is not the focus of the Holy Spirit's renovation in your life. And that renovation we could call Christian spiritual formation. He's he's reforming you. He's transforming you into the likeness of Christ. And external manifestation, when, when these outward forms of behaviors, these outward forms of appearance for appearance sake, when they're made the main emphasis, the actual process will be defeated. And what happens is you fall into kind of a deadening trap, a soul-deadening trap of legalism. This has happened to probably all of us in the past, is that we we begin to think that we have to change our behavior. We have to align our behavior, not really looking at the real issue of the heart, and when we make it external, we, we really find that then there's a major barrier to wholeheartedly, being able with your whole heart to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual formation in, in your present circumstances. For example, uh, growing up in the South, there were many churches that emphasized that 
You had to dress a certain way so that so that instead of real Christ-likeness, it was about peculiar modes of dress or forms of behavior. This was acceptable. This is not. And and these are just not the point, in other words. It's much deeper than than putting on the externals. And and uh, I feel like it's important again to say this is this is akin to having a dead tree and saying, well, it has to have fruit, so you put plastic fruit on it. The tree is no more alive because it has plastic fruit. Or even you could take real fruit and pay, tape it to it, but you would not have changed and transformed the tree. My My favorite example that I heard many years ago is... In a way, a religious person is like a Christmas tree. From the moment the tree is cut down, the tree is dead. It may still look alive. And then we decorate it with lights and pretty ornaments, but the tree is dead. And no matter how pretty it is, eventually all the needles turn brown and they fall off and all you have left are dead branches and a dead trunk because it's, no, it's not connected to life and to a life source. So this is the issue with what we could call externalism. And it was a danger in New Testament times. This is why Paul, when he was fighting against the legalism of the Judaizers in Galatians, who were saying you had to become a Jew to become a Christian, and you had to keep the whole law that wasn't enough just to love Jesus and to believe in Jesus and to receive grace and salvation from Jesus. But rather they were saying you had to believe in Jesus and you had to keep the law. But here's what Paul says. That externalism doesn't do it. He says, but I I am beside myself like a mother in travail that Christ would be formed within you. This is This is the whole work of the Holy Spirit that's going on. This is the spiritual formation and transformation that we've been talking about. Now, here's the thing. Formation is a work both of the Spirit and of the Word of God being deeply saturated, being deeply received within your heart. The Word is fortified in you with deep moral and spiritual insight. But here's the problem. If it's just the letter of the law, Paul says it kills. But the spirit gives life. So you can kind of know if you've gotten off track when the word of God or the, the, the management of your life begins to take life from you and take the joy from you because remember what it says the kingdom of god is righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit so let's illustrate this a little bit with jesus's teachings on the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 and 7 so there are many wrong behaviors that jesus mentions mentions acting out of anger looking with lust heartless divorce verbal manipulations returning evil for evil, and so forth. To strive, though, to act in conformity with Jesus' expressions of what living from the heart in the kingdom of God is like is to attempt the impossible. 
one person that I really admire said it this way. If Jesus is our example, we're all doomed because none of us can live up to Jesus's example. But if Jesus is our savior, then it is a real salvation in which his performance is exchanged for our lack of performance. So in some ways, every time you see the scriptures saying, here's the right behavior, here's the wrong behavior, instead of being overcome by guilt and shame, it should be a place of great thanksgiving because the one who has fulfilled the law for you, who's kept the law for you is Jesus And he offers to your account his keeping of the law, his righteousness. You see, if if all we do is say, well, spiritual formation is basically me trying to perform these behaviors, trying to be perfect or as close to perfect as I can be, then we would fall way short of what Jesus said. He said, "You, you must increase even the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee. And the thing is, if if you try to live out all of the moral teachings of the scriptures in your own power and your own strength, you will not go beyond the righteousness of, of Pharisees. You probably will not even measure up. So if I'm really going to live in this transformation where it's a transformation through and through, not just a transformation of some behavior modification. If I'm really becoming Christ man or Christ woman, then I've got to be experiencing this rich living of the kingdom where, where it is an expression in my life of righteousness. It's expression of joy. It's expression and manifestation of peace. So it cannot be a human attainment. The Christ-likeness that I long for and that is the ideal is not something I can achieve. It has to be something that I realize that I can have right now and have it formed in me in such a significant and renovative way is that I, I receive it as a gift. And that's a gift of his grace. See, in a way, this is what fits when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So true spiritual formation, true yieldedness to the Holy Spirit's curriculum for your life is a way of rest for the weary and for the overloaded. He said his burden is light, and he said his yoke is easy. Jesus is the one who said, clean the inside of the cup, the inside of the dish. He's the one that spoke of the good tree that cannot bear bad fruit. And it's the path along which God's, God's will, God's heart for you, God's word for you is found in a way that's not heavy or burdensome to you. One way to look at this, and this is, to me, this is really the key of my whole relationship with Christ in terms of from now till heaven, 
is that he has restored goodness to my soul. See, because I can see the absolute corruption of my own soul, if I can see the absolute bankruptcy of my own soul, of my own heart, and I'm not defending my heart, and I'm not justifying my heart, even, even though I, I, I've been through trials and tribulations and, and there were deprivations along the way, but you see, none of that will give me goodness to recover or to restore my soul. He gives me his goodness. He unites all of his goodness to my soul. And I actually can say it's mine. It's not mine because I deserve it. It's not mine because I've performed. It's mine because it's a gift. It's mine because of his grace. I, I mentioned this uh, on Sunday again, and I, I, I think it's so important that I've led many prayer meetings where people could confess their sin, where people could get in touch with their guilt. But they would not take the step of faith to say, I know that I am forgiven. I know that goodness has been restored to my soul. They, they could not do that because they thought they had to go out and become good, behave right, instead of seeing it as his grace in the moment. They felt like they had to deserve it. They had to work hard for it. They had to atone in some way instead of recognizing there is no atonement but Jesus and Jesus only. John Calvin said it this way, he says, I mean not only that which consists in verbal obedience, but that by which the mind divested of its carnal, that's that fleshly, ungodly desires in our hearts, those feelings, where implicitly the heart that once was an enemy of God now implicitly obeys the call of the Spirit of God. Yielding submission completely to the Holy Spirit. Not, again, in my mind, it, 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 I, and I've heard this for a lot of my life where they said, uh, the Holy Spirit wants to control your life. And I, I understand what they're saying by that. But because the power comes from him, the life comes from him, the joy, the peace, the fruit, all of that comes from him. And I understand in a way what they mean. But you see, Everything that God does is so relational. And it, 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 it's personal. Like it's not rules and regulations. It's, it's personal. It's leading. That there's this, there's this place where he's asking you to trust his will for your life. He's asking you to believe that he has a better way. And in fact, I've, I've never really seen anyone truly filled with the Holy Spirit who hadn't gotten fed up of doing it their own way and recognizing that they, they needed to be led by the Holy Spirit and they needed to submit and, and learn what it was to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. So in a way, what we're really talking about is a willingness to die to self. The, the true Christ-likeness that will be formed most completely in you is as you are dying to your old ways of living and your old sources of life. And that, that, that foundation of death to self 
needs to be firmly laid and sustained, Dallas Willard says. It's recognizing that, that you can't just rehabilitate your heart, but it has to be replaced. And that's the beauty of the new covenant. It's why I love doing communion and, and, and talking about that part where Jesus says, this is, this is my blood. You know, this, is, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant? Well, he'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart that beats after God. See, this is the restoration of goodness. It's not, it's not the transformation of your old heart. It's the replacement of your old heart with a new heart. And, and the problem for many of us is we don't realize how paramount we have made ourselves and our, our self-desires and our self-absorption and our self-protection. And Paul calls that basically living by the mind of the flesh or the flesh mind. In Romans 8, 6, which he says, to live by your old way of thinking is death. For the mind, he says, sows to its own flesh, invests only in one's natural self, and out of that flesh reaps more corruption. So the corrupt soul, living in its corruption, reaps more corruption. And it falls apart, or it comes apart, Paul says in Galatians 6, 8, it comes apart as the natural end of the flesh. It's not... You can hear that concept, and many of us have heard that concept. But in some ways, until you see how corrupt the flesh is, until you see how, how deceitful the heart and the end of the ways of your heart are, the people you manipulate, the people you try to control, the circumstances that you try to make happen so that you'll be happy or safe or satisfied, you begin to realize that you've got to get to the place where you realize this flesh is not going to take me where my, where my truest desires are and my greatest dreams are. So if one's life is to be organized at all, it must be organized by the will or the heart or the spirit that is now the inhabitation, the habitation, the the leadership surrendered to the spirit who is forming you and reforming you and renovating you. So really what's happening when, when it truly is a spirit operation in your life, you're being pulled together from the inside out. So the function of the will or the function of your heart is then to organize your life as a whole around God, to organize around God, his word. So the idea of choice, and sometimes we use the word volition, that's the exercise of your will. Then you see the, the capacity that you have to really change and transform not only your life but the world around you is only going to happen in a positive way as that will is surrendered to the Holy Spirit and organized around the heart of God for you. And what this brings, and, and anyone who's done this can tell you that operating in the flesh is bondage. 
the limitations of fear, the burden of worry, the responsibilities of control are way more than the human heart can handle. But to begin to let the pressure be off and the load be the load of the Lord Jesus and the yoke uh, the yoke of the Lord which is light and the burden which is not heavy and the rest that comes upon you and you're able to operate in his rest brings freedom and creativity. I don't know if you've, you've ever tried or, uh, uh, you know, discerned and watched the difference, but in my life, I can envision sometimes things that I want to happen or things that I desire or long for. And it usually involves not just myself, but people and circumstances which are outside of my control. And as I see that vision of, of this happening or that happening, and I, I can sometimes play it out in my mind. And then when, when that is a fleshly thing where I'm saying, I will be happy if, or I'll be satisfied if, if this can happen, then I can truly be successful or whatever it might be that I'm, I'm making as the result or the outcome. And my heart will always turn to anxiety. My heart will always turn to fear. My heart will always turn to anger at the people who won't cooperate with my plans or the, or the circumstances that don't go the way that I think they're supposed to go. And so when you, when you live your life trying to control outcomes, it's not freedom, it's limitation. It's not creativity, it's bondage. And when they're properly understood that this restoration of goodness to you, because it's the goodness of God, you begin to realize, I have the power to do what is good. And the old theological way of saying this is that before you come to Christ, you only have power to do wrong. You only have power to sin. But it's a simple thing. Once you're in Christ, the restoration of the goodness of God in your life, you have the power not to sin. So you have creativity, you have freedom to do what is good. Now, is there still the problem of attraction to things that are sinful? Of course, but the thought of a sin is not sin. The thought of a sin is not even temptation. Temptation is when the thought has a hook in you that says, I have an inclination, I have a longing for that sin. And usually what happens with temptation is you linger over the thought or you actually seek out how to accomplish the thought. One thing to realize as we're either giving into the spirit formation or we're going back into the flesh, which will lead us to death, is without the inner yes, there is no sin. Sin only wins if you or I give it an inner yes. See, when we decide and we are operating in our will, and, and, and what happens is to choose something, the, the thing that we're choosing, the object or the concept that has come before our mind and, 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 and has a feeling inside of us that we're either for it or we're against it. You have to understand that feeling and thought always go together. 
They're interdependent and they're never found apart. There is no feeling which leads to a choice now. There's no feeling without something being before the mind and thought and no thought without some positive or negative feeling towards what is contemplated. In other words, temptation only works if I have a desire for it. And then if I linger over it, and I began to say out of a belief that this will satisfy me, this will make me happy, this will make me successful. The person with a well-kept heart is a person who's prepared for and capable of responding to the situations in life of life in ways that are good and right. See, what, what these components of will, thought, and feeling are so closely intertwined that at times you, you can't even differentiate. Is it a feeling? Is it a thought? Is it a choice? Because they work so closely together. And there are times when we have this inclination to do good, but our thoughts or our feelings can coax us out of it. Other times we have an inclination to give in to a, a temptation, but then we, we think more wisely or we start to feel dread of consequences and so we don't give in. Here is where thought, feeling, and choice all have to begin to surrender to the Holy Spirit and surrender to the fact that you have the power not to sin. This is, there's a knowing in your heart now that Jesus speaks of, that you will know the truth and it will set you free. So in other words, saturating your heart with the truth is, is, is how you begin to undo the old fleshly patterns. It's not, when it comes to God's word, it's not guessing, it's not hoping, it's not even testing it. It's, it's you know that you know and you apply and experience the truth and you, you know it because you have applied and you have experienced the truth. So to close this out, think about this with me. Because these things are so interdependent, thought, feeling, choice, then there has to be an intentional aligning your heart to God's word, which is critical for your creativity and your freedom. And it's the way we overcome negative behavior. We, we have to believe that God's word is the truth, but then not only believe it, but in order to be free, we have to apply it to the situations as the truth. And then what happens, you see, is our hearts begin to resonate in every situation, begin to resonate with the truth because we've aligned our hearts, we've believed with our hearts, and now we've applied his word to our hearts. This truth overcomes strongholds only when you treat it as truth.